Well, good morning, everybody. It's a blessing for me to come to you and bring you the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, for those of you that slotted in, we're coming from a very beautiful Malmesbury Cape Town area. Snow on the mountains, ice cold. It's just so crisp and clear and clean. Uh, such an honor to live in this area and just bring you the good news of Jesus, the gospel, the message of his life that he's come to bring us, the comfort that there is in Jesus Christ. As we know that Jesus was raised from the dead and that he is Lord, we as Christians see him as our Lord. We see his rulership as the jurisdiction under which we stand, although we are in this world. So when we look at the things of this world and how there is um, injustices in this world and pain and fear and anxiety and violence and things that are not going right, we know that we can invite those people into the or under the rule that we stand in and that we, in the midst of all of these things, can have peace. Now today I'm going to talk uh, a little bit about Jesus and where he was also going through difficult times. We need to understand that Jesus went through difficult times. It was not as if he was just all the time just thinking everything is just 100%. He himself was at a place where he asked his disciples to pray for him. He, the Bible says it's clear Jesus' words was saying that his soul was in distress uh, waiting for the cup that he had to drink. He knew that he was going to go through death, and it wasn't an easy thing for him. He even prayed to the Father uh, more than once that that cup can be taken away from him. He did not want to go through that. It was a fearful thing. It was a, a, a thing of anxiety. It was something that was really pushing down on him. He was also in some other places praying and saying to his, or not praying, he was just saying to his disciples, how long will I still be with you? And we get the sense of, I wouldn't say he's just rude, uh, that, that would not be it, but uh, that he was thinking that by this time you are now supposed to understand and grab a hold of this message. We find in another place, and we will see a bit of that in Isaiah here, where he is saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you like a hen gatherer chicks, but you didn't want to. So he comes to do the will of the Father, which was to gather Jerusalem, but they don't want to be gathered, and they are not being gathered. And Jesus is going to die that way with the people of God, Jerusalem, not being gathered. Um, and we're going to look at how Jesus deals with that. Because there are places in our lives where we think that things were supposed to have been working out in a certain way. But how do we deal with these things which seemingly is not working out as we think it should work out? Now, if you read Isaiah you find in Isaiah 40, we find the, uh, from Isaiah 40, the deliverance of Israel coming, the, the, the prophecies of what Jesus was going to do, the messianic prophecies coming forth. And we find that Isaiah say here, and he starts off prophesying to John the Baptist, and he's saying, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her service has been completed that her sins has been paid for, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now that talks about 
a double forgiveness basically. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert the highway for our God. This is John the Baptist. And we find from Isaiah 40 here, the, um, the, the prophet now comes and he's prophesying everything about Jesus. So now, when we read this, what we need to do is we need to read it the way Jesus would read it. Remember, here Jesus sees John the Baptist. He knows John the Baptist is the one that is making the way. He, from the age of 12, he was busy. Jesus himself was busy with the things of his father at his father's house. And here he reads Isaiah 40, and he knows this is now prophetically speaking about him. Jesus. He knows there's a man going before me, making the way straight. It is Elijah. He even said that uh, John the Baptist is Elijah, if you can take it, the one that had to come before making the way straight for the Messiah. And what John was doing is he was making certain things clear and he was saying to the Jews, listen, you are not the people of God because you are Jews. He basically said that God out of these stones can raise up children unto Abraham. So it is not about your flesh. It's not about the law. It's not about works, but it's about him that shows grace and shows mercy. Um, so here, imagine Jesus reading through Isaiah and then he gets, I mean, I just read Isaiah 40 there while the music was on there. I read through most of it there. It is, it is so powerful that I, I mean, I can't read it now. Then I'm not going to get into the message. And then he gets into Isaiah 42 and he sees the father. And this is what we uh, preached on last week. Now, man, I, I normally do two services a day. I do the English one or the Afrikaans one and then the English one. If there's an Afrikaans service... I do the Afrikaans, and then directly after that, I preach the English one. And I think last week's English message came, uh, came out a bit better than the Afrikaans one. That's just my opinion. People normally differ with me from that, but it came a bit out a bit better than the Afrikaans one. Uh, so if you have time, go and listen to last week's message, the English one that is on YouTube. But this is basically what I spoke about. This is now the father presenting his son to people. Now imagine God the Father. Uh, standing in front of you and saying to you, listen, man, I've got you. I've got a present for you. This is what I wanted to give you all the time. And he says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. I can just see God standing full of excitement presenting jesus to his people just see that i, I mean see a massive crowd or however you want to see it or god coming to your house and knocking at the door and saying to you uh, listen yanni listen maxi listen efsia listen dalian listen uh, whoever it is i've got something that i want to show you here is my servant. And then he points you to the resurrected Christ. And he says um, that my soul delights in him. My life is in him because he brings justice to you. He's the one that brings justice to you. It's almost like 
Um, I remember our neighbor, a while back he had COVID, and um, him, him and his wife were very, very ill. And then I went and I mowed the lawn. I don't know, did, did we have the gardener help there? can't remember. He didn't. But Elena and I, we did, went there, we cleaned the whole garden and everything there. Um, now imagine, now uh, th- I think there was a garden that picked up the leaves and whatever, but w- when, I s- when there's a gardener there, helping there, the, the gardener brings me joy because he's cleaning the neighbor's uh, yard and it brings joy to the neighbor. So it is about the neighbor. And that is what God is doing here. He's presenting his son because it is about your well-being. It's about my well-being. And this person, Jesus, is serving the Father and doing the will of the Father, which is your salvation. So what he's basically saying is, the law cannot save these people. The justice system of the world cannot bring justice to this world. It cannot bring this world in order. So I have now raised up a servant. Before the servant came, I even raised up another person that made the way straight for this person to come. And what he was telling the Jews was, listen, it is not about ethnicity. It's not about the law. It's not about your works. It's about what I am coming to do. And here is the man, Jesus, and he is going to do my will. And my will is to bring justice to the nations and that justice is defined in giving the fruit of the spirit and the life of God to people by the working of God (laughs) that is absolute good news we read on we see here that it says that he shall not cry out or raise his voice in the streets in other words he's not a politician that is simply what it means he's not a politician And a bruised reed will he not break. In other words, uh, even if a reed is bruised, even if your life is destroyed and this world has got no hope for your life, he will not say it's a hopeless case. That is what he would say. He would, he, he would say, this is not a hopeless case. I can bring life. For the Father has sent me to bring eternal life to people, to bring peace to people, to bring joy to people. Now you might say, but Bertie, I'm not seeing that in my life. I'm, it is as if I've believed all these things and I've done a lot of things in the kingdom of God and I'm not seeing the fruit that I think I was supposed to see. Don't jump the gun. We are going there. That is what, um, what we're still getting into in Isaiah 49. But Bertie, only in Isaiah 42. How are we ever going to get to Isaiah 49? We're just going to skip the chapters in between don't be afraid (laughs) glory to god okay a bruised reed will he not break a smoking wick will he not snuff out in faithfulness he will bring forth justice he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth it means that he is tenacious he's not gonna stop Our God, Jesus Christ, it says here, he will not stop. Basically means he's not going to be discouraged. He's not going to become tired until 
Church, I want, I want to just say to you, every one of you right there, as I see your names on the screen there, every one of you, Jesus Christ will not stop until justice is served. And to him, justice is only served when you appear in the fullness of God bodily. There is no other way. And that is what the scripture says here. He will not falter or be discouraged he, till he establishes justice in the earth. In his teaching, the Gentiles will put their hope. What is the teaching that, that, that Jesus has? The teaching is that he was raised from the dead and that the very same thing that happens to Jesus, the condition Jesus, the human being, finds himself in at the right hand of God is what we can hope in. The teaching that he has, the doctrine that he has is, it's not by your works, it's not by your effort, it is by me. And that is the, the beautiful thing about that is it can truly now show people what is truly in their hearts. Those who truly want freedom will come to God and say, God, you have promised me this. This is what I want. And then you will receive it by him. Okay. Um, it says here that this is what God is saying. This is what he will bring forth. He will bring forth a light in darkness listen to what it says in Isaiah 49 uh, it is a repetition of what Isaiah 42 says it says listen to me you islands when he speaks of islands here he talks about the Gentile nations the non-Jews he says hear this you distant nations before I was born the Lord called me from my mother's womb he has spoken my name this is Jesus now speaking this is his message to the Gentiles He's made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hidden me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, or we can say my servant Jesus in this case, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, this is now what David, not what David, what Jesus said. I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. So what this is basically saying is, is that the father speaks to Jesus. And the father says to Jesus, in you will I bring forth justice to all the people. But Jesus said, if it looks, and, and, and I want to explain this because there's something to understand about this. Jesus said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. What that basically means is that in his time when he was living, it would look as if he did not have any success. As if he spent all his strength, as if he's done whatever he had to do, but there was no effect. Let us look at it this way. Imagine, I'm going to look at it in a normal way, and that is how we look at our own lives, and then we're going to look at what God says to, to Jesus and how Jesus dealt with this thought of, I'm not successful at what I've done. Imagine you preach for three years. You preach for three years. You get disciples 
12 of them, and then then you have more followers, about 70. And then all of a sudden, one day, you preach and you tell them that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, you, t- you have no part in me. And then they say, well, this is difficult to hear, and then most of them leave, only 12 of them remain. Then the 12 that remain, they don't really understand what's going on. They think that you're busy with a political rally. They, d- they don't understand your death. They don't understand your resurrection. When you give them some power to pray for people, uh, they, they, they are very proud of having power and then think that this power that they have, this, this power to heal the sick is a great tool uh, to gain political favor and to overthrow Rome and to basically strengthen the arm of the flesh. They don't, they've got no clue. Uh, to the point that frustration kind of settles in a bit. You know, how long will I still be here? When are you going to understand something? And then to the point where you realize that these people are not going to understand anything while I'm here, and that unless God pours out the Holy Spirit after I've died, these people will not understand, and that in my time, while I work with them, they're not going to understand. That's basically what Jesus faced. And then, uh, when he was about to be crucified, he goes and asks the people to pray for him, and they cannot even pray with him. They're too weak. They're too tired. They cannot pray. Uh, they cannot stand with him in a time when he's sweating blood. He tells them that he's going to be handed over to the chief priests and all those kind of things. Then they rebuke him. They've got no understanding. They've got no clue. These people, they fight amongst each other. And then they're this, they're the, the, the one... You know, the one mother comes and says, let your, my one son sit on your left hand and the other one at your right hand when you come into your kingdom. They were thinking that, listen, when Jesus now overthrows Rome here and he's getting his big army, let my sons rule. Th- that's it. You know, with you and, and let them be with you. That, that, that's what I want. And she was just th- thinking of herself and her own fame and ego and all those kind of things. They were fighting among, amongst each other. Jesus tried to tell them, listen, man, I wash your feet. Let me explain to you how this thing works. They understand nothing. Then he goes to the cross. And just before he goes to the cross, the Bible says uh, that uh, Peter denied him three times. Jesus knew it's going to take place. Peter denied him three times. And the Bible says, and then they all deserted him. And then on the cross, he hangs alone. And the only one that is there is John. That is all. And his mother. That is it. That is how the ministry's end looks. There is nothing to show for three years of hard work. The very people that he multiplied the bread for. The very people that were say seeing Hosanna to him when he came in on the triumphant entry on the donkey there. Those very people were shouting, crucify. I mean, it doesn't look like success. <laughs> it doesn't look good. He says here in verse 4, remember, when Jesus reads Isaiah 49, he's saying, listen to the islands. I want to tell you, this is what I'm going to come and do. And then he says, but I say of himself, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Now listen to the key here. Yet what is due me 
is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Can you see this powerful thing? We find the very same thing in Second Corinthians twelve nine, where Paul. Um, I think we're gonna we have to have a look at that, and we can also look at First uh, Corinthians four, where Paul is being drawn before courts and all those kind of things and how he basically says of myself i know nothing so what jesus is saying here according to myself and according to what i think success is by my own works of my own hands here uh i think i i can just if it is counted as a waste of time but the success of what's taking place here is not in what i accomplish right now my success is in the hands of my father and we find that Jesus, after he died, if we look at uh, success in a worldly manner, the Romans would have said he had no success. He had 12 followers. We just took the guy in the cloth there. We just put him on the cross, killed him, and now they stole his body. But we'll sort that lie out as well. Nothing's going to come of this man. And they would look at his ministry and say, unsuccessful. People that used to uh, follow him would say, well, we need to find another Messiah for ourselves because obviously this is not the one. He was just a cheat and he was killed and ugh, 12 followers, that is all there was and a mother crying. I mean, it, it looks the same as what anybody else that's crucified there. Look, it's not, no difference. But then we find that what was due to Jesus, the resurrection, was in the Father's hands and not in his own works. We find that which the Father would reward Jesus with, which is us, and the advancing of the kingdom is in the hands of the Father, not in the, was not in the hands of Jesus' works. And he says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb of my mother, to bring Jacob back to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has has been my strength. He says, It is too a small thing for you to be my servant just to restore Israel. You will also be a light unto the Gentiles. So what I want to say to you here, what the scripture is saying here, is that even Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at Paul now, even Jesus Christ, when he was at a place where he would say, if you look at my works right now, just by what I'm doing and accomplishing in this world, it might look like nothing. It might look like things going backward. It's not going forward. It's going backward. But I want to say to you, what is due me is in the hands of God. What is due me is my reward is with God. And I want to say to you, your reward is not in your hands. Your reward is not by your ability. Your reward and what is due to you is in the hands of God and in the ability of God and in God's ability to fulfill what He has promised you. It's not in your own ability. Let me testify just ministry-wise um, for Dynamic Love Ministries and how this, this passage, and I'm going to look at Paul as well, has helped me. When I started out in ministry, um, I was just a radical young man that would preach everywhere to any person. And um, I would find a lot of people receive Jesus. I would also lay my hands on basically everything that moved. And we would see a lot of people getting healed. We would also see a lot of people not getting healed. But we would see a lot of people getting healed. I went to Bible school and passionately 
most of the days went out, preached on the street corners, preached house to house. That's what I did. Not because I was under a law that I had to do it. It's just a passion in my heart. We saw people receiving the Lord. We planted some small churches in communities. Uh, I went to Bible school, and in Bible school I met up with uh, with, with a, uh, an evangelist that had big outreaches. And I would also occasionally preach for him on his stage there. And I built my own stage as well, and we would preach. Helena and I, years ago, we're talking about 96, 97, round about there. We would go to Mozambique and preach in the villages and in the, in the um, open-air uh, markets there. And we would minister to between five and 10,000 people a day, every day. And I will do it for a month, as long as what the visa could, could allow. We would do it. We would preach. We would dish out Bibles. We would do all those kind of things. Um, when I preached with Ed, you know, and the stage, sometimes Ed didn't go and he would ask me and some other people to preach on the stage. We would have crowds of 25,000 people. 20,000 people preach the gospel. Eliana and I went to Mozambique, planted churches in many different places with preachers, worked in Zambia, planted many, many churches in Zambia. Then um, in South Africa, we, we got the TV studio, we got, uh, got our own TV station and all those kind of things. I've traveled 20-something countries in the world preaching the gospel. And then the COVID thing started coming. The TV station closed. Those, many of those churches that we've planted rejected the grace gospel. Man. They rejected the grace gospel. Don't want to hear the grace message anymore. Got under the hands of people that preach the law. People rejected me like they rejected the apostle Paul saying that I'm a false preacher. After planting all the churches, doing all the hard work, now the churches stand. When they hear my teaching on the tithe, <laughs> they kick me out. You think of all those kind of things. I mean, there's a lot of things we can talk about, the mission station in Zambia and whatever, that I don't even want to mention here. Think of all those things, and you look, and then there is times when I look, and Elena, we look at this, Elena, not so much, but this sometimes happened to me, where I would say, it seems as if I've labored in vain and I've spent my strength for nothing at all. But what strengthens me is this, and because I don't walk by that, that is not where my life is. My life is not in how many people I reach, how big a ministry is, or any of those kind of things, because Jesus as well the apostle paul as well he had many people that followed him he had great success and then he also yeah i mean he said that all of asia has received the gospel and just a little bit later on in his writing he says we've got nobody in asia we find paul towards the end of his ministry basically having timothy a teenager that believes what he says that's towards the end of his ministry I mean, that's terrible. Most of the churches that the Apostle Paul planted when he walked the earth was closed or became Judaized. The, the people in, uh, in Corinth rejected him to a point that he couldn't even put his feet there, man. 
And he's the one that loved them. He's the one that came honestly to them. He didn't ask them any money. He was good to them. And then some other people came there, big shot apostles with money and entourage and all those kind of things. And they started to speak against Paul. And then the people rejected Paul. That is what happened to the man. We find the same kind of a thing with Jesus Christ here. But he says, yet what is due me, Jesus said, is in the Lord's hands. So Jesus wasn't seeking justification or the manifestation of reward in what he did and by what he did. He, was, he knew that his reward was an empty grave and that he would be appointed as Lord, and that his kingdom will advance in all the earth to where it is today. We can see the reward of the Lord all over the earth and what, he, what, what happened to him there. He says here, and this is so beautiful, I want to just read this in the uh, um, King James translation, and then we're going to go over to Second Corinthians. He says, then I said, I labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work is with my God. He says, yes, it might look as if we've wasted our time. You might have been a person that has uh, tried many different things in spreading the gospel, having a home church, telling the gospel to somebody, uh, you know, and all those kind of things. And you might say, my strength I've spent in vain. He says, And now says the Lord that formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob to him. Though Israel be not gathered, you sh uh, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord. So Jesus says, my strength, if I spent for nothing, I couldn't gather Israel. Israel, like a hen, uh, like a hen wants to gather chicks, I want to gather Israel, but they are not gathered. And Jesus saying, well, I, I didn't get that right. That's how it looks. But then God says to Jesus, the Father says to Jesus, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be, this is now Jesus, be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and God shall be my strength. So Jesus is saying, yet if this does not happen, I shall still be glorious in the eyes of my God. <laughs> Hallelujah, man. Hallelujah. You know, we as parents, we raise our children and we... As we raise our children, I'm thinking of people that, that are here now. Uh, people starting businesses, people supporting ministries, people, whatever you try to do that you feel is the right thing to do. Home groups, whatever it is. You join a church, you thought, man, I joined this church. This is, God, this is now God's will for me and this is going to work out successfully. You can come to the place where you say, I've spent all my strength for nothing and God would say, I tell you, what you're doing here is not going to work out, but you shall always be glorious in my eyes. Hallelujah. Paul takes this principle. Let me just read it again. I don't want to rush over it. Listen to Isaiah 40, 49 here. And he said unto me, you are my servant, 
in whom I will be glorified. This is a prophetic word about Jesus. You need to understand that when it says Israel here, it doesn't talk about the nation Israel, it doesn't talk about the Jews. Jesus is Israel. Okay? And we who have believed upon him, we are the Israelites. Who is a Jew but he that is circumcised in the heart, Paul said. And that is the logic Paul uses when he reads these scriptures as well as Jesus. Israel was supposed to be the servant. Israel as a nation was supposed to be the servant of God to serve the Gentiles with the gospel. But they didn't. But God prophesied that through Israel, he will bring the Israel shall be a servant and then from Israel he raised up a Jew Jesus who was Israel who did what God prophesied so what God did what God promised became true even if it was just in one man okay and so he said unto me you art my servant O Israel or O Jesus in whom I will be glorified then said I I have labored in vain I've spent my strength for nothing and in vain Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work is with God. Yes, to me it looks as if nothing's working out. But Father, if you say it, it is so. And now says the Lord that formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. This is what the Lord says to Jesus. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall you be glorious in my eyes. And, you shall, uh, um, and I shall be your strength. It means that Jesus didn't find his strength in how successful his ministry was when he was on the earth because the Father had to justify Jesus with that which the Father promised Jesus prior to his death, which was resurrection and that he will reign and rule on the earth. And that is what took place. We see that after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, the church started to preach. We find in Acts chapter 7 that the Jews start to become a bit nasty. <laughs> they killed Stephen. They killed Stephen. And I want to read to you. I just want to read this to you in Acts 8. After they killed Stephen, what happened? At the killing of Stephen, the following took place. They put their clothes at the feet of a young man, Saul of Tarsus, a zealot. And this is what chapter 8 verse 1 says. And Saul approved of their killing him. Man, it's becoming a bit difficult there. But then when the church fled, if you read chapter 8, when the church fled, they fled to Samaria. A lot of the Jews fled to Samaria. Why did they go to Samaria? Because the, 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 the religious Jews in Jerusalem hated Samaria. They didn't want to go to Samaria. They didn't, even, they didn't even walk through Samaria. They walked around Samaria. So they thought that's a safe place to go and hide from the Jews that want to kill the church. But when they were there fleeing, you find the gospel being preached. You find that Herod built these temples and uh, massive places where uh, the gods were worshipped. The goddess Roma was worshipped. And you find that um, the Caesar was also Augustus. There was a, a place of worship built to him. Everybody worshipped there. It was a stronghold, this uh, Samaria. 
It was a place of great evil, of uh, worshipping of idols and all these kind of things. But when the church fled there, we find that Simon the sorcerer, which was called the great power of God, he submits to Jesus. He gets saved. We find the church spreading, the gospel being spread, people believing in Samaria. Then the apostles come. They lay hands on these people and they receive the Holy Spirit. And churches are planted. Jesus, when he was walking on the earth, he said, well, I, it looks as if I'm not getting anything right here. But my judgment and my justice is with God. And God justified Jesus. And we see how the church has spread all over the world and continues to spread. I want to tell you, you and me, we are part of an everlasting kingdom. We don't have to fret about Bill Gates, man. We don't have to fret about uh, different things in the world. We don't have to fret, South Africans, about what happens in the politics, land reformation, and all these kind of things. We don't have to stress about those things. This terrorist, Saul, while he was on his way to Damascus, Jesus, he appeared to him. That appearing wasn't like a one hour long appearing. If you read the NIV, it says the appearing was just a flash. It's like lightning, just like just a flash, a millisecond, half a second of a flash. And the half a second of a flash of the bodily resurrection presence of Jesus caused scales to come over his eyes. He had a physical manifestation on his body. A voice after this flash and this light that shone around him in the flash was then speaking to him. Other people heard the voice, but they saw no one. They heard the voice that was speaking to Paul. This man changed, and the terrorist, the one that was bringing terror, was changed by the power of the resurrected Christ. Now, I want to say to you, if just a flash of a millisecond of the bodily physical presence of Christ brought that change in Jesus, what do you think will his return be like wherein you will co not just flash, but shine eternally with him in the earth? Do you think there will be any wickedness left on this earth? Nothing, man. Absolutely nothing. We are part of an ever-increasing kingdom where there is no end to it. Listen to how Paul handles this thing. Paul also had some times when he didn't feel too good. Uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, um, I think it's 12. Here it is. Paul says here that he had different revelations of God. He says, and then this revelation was so great, and he was making so much success in the earth, you know, but then a thorn in the flesh was given him. That thorn in the flesh was not God giving him a thorn in the flesh. Uh, that thorn in the flesh was just the uh, Sanhedrin and uh, some people deciding, Jewish people, a thorn in his flesh, that there were some Jews that decided wherever Paul start a church, we're going to follow him and then we're going to destroy his church and Judaize them. 
That's what happened. And then Paul basically said that he asked God three times. He says there was a messenger of Satan, a satanic messenger. So whenever Paul preached his message of grace, after he preached, a messenger, a messenger of Satan came. This was a preacher, a normal physical person that would go wherever Paul go and preach a message that contradicted what Paul preached and do havoc to the church. He says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, and it tormented me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So what he was saying is, you think you need to have powerful ministry in the earth and if this revelation can just spread everywhere and everybody can believe accurately and take this gospel, we're going to so take over the world. No, that's not how it works. Maybe these people are destroying these things. Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. What he was saying to him is, my judgment over you, Paul, is in my hands, not in what I do through you, but it's in my hands to bring justice to you. And Paul has got the promise of the resurrection. And we can today see what effect the life of Paul had on the whole earth. So Paul, when he was in these difficult times, he thought the better thing is if I can change these things. But God said to him, listen, man, it's not by how successful you are. It's about me and what I promised you and what I bring forth. I'm ending off 1 Corinthians 4. Listen to this. Remember the Apostle Paul, he was a good man, but he was drawn in front of courts all the time. And listen to what this passage says here. I'm ending off with this. It says, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. So he says, I want you to regard me as a servant of Christ. And as those that, in, that and those entrusted with the mysteries of God, now it's required of those who have been given this trust to be faithful. But I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Can you see how Paul takes Isaiah 49 and applies it to himself? This is what he's saying, and I'm ending off with this. He was saying, I'm a steward of this gospel, and it is, and I should be found faithful in this gospel. But to me, it's a very little thing if I am judged by you or by a human court and found faithful or guilty in your eyes or in the eyes of a human court. That's what he's saying. Because they were just drawing in front of human courts all the time. He says, I don't even judge myself. He says, I don't know of anything that I've done wrong, but I'm not even justified by that. Because he who brings life to me is God. That's all that matters. That is all that matters. Even like in my case, you know, I've had some guy decide to draw me in front of a court, court of this, this world, for something that is very stupid. Now, I know that I, will, that, that I will stand innocent there, but that means nothing. That means nothing. 
absolutely nothing. If I'm guilty or innocent in the eyes of you that watch me, if I'm guilty or innocent in the eyes of a court of law, I don't care. I don't even judge myself. I cannot even judge myself to say, will I have life by this or not? It, it doesn't matter. He says, my justice, Paul says, my justice is in the hands of the Almighty God. And in the resurrection, the life of God shall be revealed in me. And that is what Paul lived by. And we see the effect that it had on the whole world. That's the, that's the way Jesus lived. And we see the effect that it had on the whole world. We see, we see the, the, the way the apostles lived and the effect it had on the whole world. So I want to say to you, never let anything in your life disqualify you, man. We cannot measure our lives by the things of this world. By things of this world, we might think we've wasted all of our time. But our justice is with God and He has promised us eternal life. And what we can live from now is the peace of having life by God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't God beautiful? Here we have an apostle, the apostle Paul. The effective time of his ministry was just about 10 years. That's when he really traveled and when he could write. But the other years, he spent in jails, man, in front of courts, all lies about this guy and when he said God I want this to end God said to him listen I want to tell you and I want to use my own words here even if this ends don't find yourself strong in this ending your strength is in my grace which is the power of the resurrection for you which will justify you with with the fruit of the Spirit today and with bodily immortality in the day of the Lord. And this is the truth we can keep before our eyes, church. Well, thank you so much that I could serve you with the good news. I would like to have just run through this again for another 30 minutes or so, but I think you can just rewind and listen to this later today when this is uploaded on YouTube. Thank you so much for the life that I can see in you by Jesus Christ and that you allow that. You say, God, thank you that it is by your working. Thank you that it is by your doing, that grace is sufficient for me. My strength is made perfect in weakness. When you think things are weak, I want to tell you, God is strong. What that means is it's not by our power. It's by God fulfilling his judgment in our lives, which is a judgment unto life. Thank you so much. Let us pray. Father, I want to pray for every person that is watching me. I want to pray for every sick person that is watching me. Every person that has got trouble in his life. I want to thank you that we can stand in the midst of trouble and say that your grace is sufficient for us. And from that perspective, we can also have a confident expectation for healing. Thank you, Lord, that we can live at a place where we don't even have to judge ourselves. And Lord, even if we judge ourselves and we find ourselves as innocent, that we are not justified by it. Isn't that glorious? Because Lord, tomorrow we might judge ourselves and find ourselves guilty. And how will we then be justified if we're justified by how we find ourselves? Thank you, Lord, that we find ourselves under your judgment. 
which is revealed in the resurrection of Jesus as a judgment unto life. I declare every person that is watching me, touched by the power of God, flooded with the understanding of God, flooded with the goodness of God, in Jesus' mighty name. I thank you, Father, that you've opened our eyes to see your gospel. Amen and amen. Well, thank you that I could serve you with the good news. I also want to quickly just thank everybody that supports this ministry. Your prayers, uh, your financial support, your love for us is so great. Thank you for slotting in. If I see all of you here um, and just wanting to hear good news, it is such a blessing for me just to serve you with this message. And even in the midst of COVID, where we could never gather the amount of people that gathers now, if we count everybody that is in the houses listening to this, that we could gather and preach the gospel, serve one another with the good news. Thank you for allowing uh, me to serve you with this message. We will chat then again next week. Those of you that want to uh, be part of the breakout groups, you can just stay on um, uh, uh, in the Zoom meeting here and we will divide you into groups where you can minister to one another. Thank you for all your love. God bless.